David and Garrett in the morning. You heard it here first, folks. Today, this is the David and Garrett in the morning podcast, and we're going to be talking about David Lynch, famous artist, director, and just interesting person. I'd like to start off by first apologizing for the dog in the background. He makes his own rules. Hi, David. How are you today? I'm just super wonderful. How about yourself, Mr. Garrett? I am alive, and I think that's an important thing to pay attention to. Glad you are. Thanks. All right. So, David Lynch. This man... What a lovely cloth (laughs) of, like, silver hair. I love (laughs) looking at his interviews and just thinking, like, man, that guy's got a style. This is the only man I've ever looked at who is American that doesn't look like he is. Even a little bit. (laughs) The only American that looks like an anime character in real life. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So, we have introduced this man, this wonderful gray-haired anime man. Um, His life, starting up, it it was wild. It was very yeah? interesting. Yeah. Educate me and the fans. Yes, of course. So uh, his father was actually a research scientist with the U.S. Forest Service. So he moved around everywhere. And with that, just traveling and everything, I guess he was inspired by all the different scenes he saw because he wanted to become a painter. And uh, after he graduated from high school, he enrolled at the School of the Museum of the Fine Arts in Boston. He uh, later studied at uh, Pennsylvania Academy of the Fine Arts. That place right there, that's where he did his first film, his uh, Six Men Getting Sick, and that's what really mm. kicked off his whole career, but we'll get back to that later. Yes, please. Of course. In 1970, he became a student at the American Film Institute's Center for Advanced Film Studies, where he began working on his first feature film. You may have heard of it, uh, Eraserhead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. That was shot over a couple years, and then... It baffled and repelled critics and so many viewers, and it eventually became a cult favorite on the midnight movie circuit. So I'm going to just throw in a little something about that real quick. Of course. Just like a little anecdotal piece that I saw in an interview about that, is he was asked post-movie, post-launch, post-premiere, all that, Mm -hmm. what he intended the audience's reaction to be. And it was funny because for a guy who always seems like he has... The right answer to every question in something prepared. Maybe it was just early in his career, or maybe he just wasn't ready for that question, whatever the case may be. Yeah. He really struggled with answering it, and he he stumbled in such a way that he was like, well, I didn't really think about how the audience would react to this. I mean, if I go further and I do more, you know, make more films and, and things like this, I'll, I'll probably have that more in mind, but at this time I just... It was an abstract film and not in such a way that things were disjointed and intentionally like ill-fitting. Uh, it was made to be a true abstract film because it was getting through uh, abstract ideas. And I just wanted to make an honest film. I didn't really think about the audience. I thought that they would just kind of... They would figure it out as they go. And I just wanted to make an honest piece of art. I thought that was fun. Yeah, I think that really shows because just going through everything that I've seen... You can tell the big difference between that film and his later movies like Blue Velvet and Mulholland Drive because he eventually started to like pick up actors from his work in Twin Peaks that he wanted to keep throughout mm. all of them. And most of them, I don't think 
even are in Eraserhead. Plus, there's a big stylistic difference between the two, like Eraserheads in black and white, and there's just a more eerie feeling that is presented in his other movies, but in that one especially, it's just more off-putting and grotesque than it is just curious. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We can not have to talk about the little E.T. thing. In the oh, yeah, I just can, was going to... We'll just keep going. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. I don't want to talk about the poop with eyes. His personal life is... It's an interesting thing. Good. It is... Uh, interesting is the word I'm going to use. Um, he does a lot of the same stuff. Uh, I forget what article it was, but... Let me see if I can find it. There was a article in Huck Magazine. It just talked about how he does the same stuff every single day. Wakes up, meditates twice a day, wears the same clothes he can, eats the same lunch, which is just a piece of bread with mayonnaise and chicken, and then eats the same dinner that he has for lunch, but it has also vegetable soup. And I think, I don't know, it might just be a way to make sure that he's just drawing raw inspiration from himself and like just trying to put truly himself into his work to make sure that it's not stuff that he sees like he wants it to all be from him if that makes sense yeah so i i i'm maybe i just got my information from different places but the way that i the way that i interpret it and i'm paraphrasing all of this mm -hmm. but the way that i interpret it when he describes why he's such a creature of habit and why he likes to do certain things on quote-unquote autopilot is that, like, he feels better about his craft, whether it's painting, drawing, filmmaking, any kind of inspiration, he feels better about it when he gets rid of the negativity uh, and, and, and gets rid of the positivity vampires. And, yeah. he's, and he wants to always put himself in a, in a creative place where he's, like, unfettered. So he likes... His area where he's working to be clean. He likes habitual actions like you're talking about eating the same lunch, eating the same dinner. Because he feels like his mind is more free to do whatever it's going to do and, and be inspired and go all the weird places yeah. and interesting places that it will go. When he doesn't have all of those other things potentially distracting him from those glorious ideas. Yeah, in that same article, it was talking about also how he basically has his assistant do everything for him, like even his grocery shopping and everything. Like, he just stays in his studio. I think that also just goes along with him not wanting to be tainted by mm -hmm. everything that he sees. Well, that's what you do. I mean, is that... You copy off him, I guess, then. Oh, yeah? Because you just have your assistant do all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Alright, yeah. Yeah, of course. Flattery, you know. Mm -hmm. that's... Going back, because a big part of this, his art itself. Not just his, his media and his films, but like his actual just raw paintings and his shows that he's put on. A big one that kind of kicked off his career was uh, 1967's Six Men Getting Sick. It shows six men just eventually just getting sick and throwing up and covering their faces. What's really cool about it that I saw was that it was three busts of heads, but then in the video himself, he added three more to give it like that mixed kind of just hazy dreamlike feeling. Cause he like drew over the faces too. So it looks just very interesting. 
Oh, it's, yeah. I mean, visceral. I mean, you know, whatever fun adjectives that you want to apply oh, yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely not what I would think of if I was going to go to an art exhibition and, and yeah. see this. But And I think that's very much on brand for him. He's wanting to show something that's going to make the audience have a reaction knowing that it's going to not be a positive reaction, but still knowing that it's going to resonate with them at least a little bit. Some interesting things that yeah. I, I found from looking into that, because it seems like that was his big jumping off point from from being uh, more known as a, as a painter. Yeah. Uh, and more like starting to dip his toes into filmmaking is he really, he, he described filmmaking as a language that lends itself to um, abstraction. Mm-hmm. And he likes this idea of paintings moving so that they can depict something that uh, other mediums maybe can't do a, a, as good of a job as depi- like, like showing abstraction of emotion. Yeah. And having that thing where you know the way you feel or you receive that feeling from that piece of art, but you can't really describe how you got there. You know you have it, but you don't know the path that you, you took to get there. He, he likes this abstraction and likes to just depict that and have that happen to, to yeah. other people. So this, this, this jumping off of this six men getting sick, yeah. he, he likes this, uh, I, I kept seeing uh, this phrase, total sensory immersion. Yeah. And he's really engaging the audience and trying to get them to have a feeling. Maybe he's not wanting them to have a specific feeling, but he wants a reaction. He wants them to, to be moved in such a way by this, by this piece of art. But uh, but yeah, I just thought that was interesting because that seems all paths lead to that being his jumping off point because that's his you know he he went from painting to stop animation yeah when when doing this uh, piece of art I think this is all incredibly impressive considering that he also did it when he was twenty one I don't know about you but what were you doing when you're twenty one did you have all of these foresights uh, into what you wanted everybody to perceive everything you did as. Uh, I was probably losing in a Yu-Gi-Oh tournament. Oh, cool. Something like that. It's okay. I, uh, I have not reached the age of fun yet, but, uh, I, nowhere near this, even a little bit. No, yeah. No, he, he, I mean, he, like I said earlier, whenever you see him in an interview, it's, he seems to have a confident response to whatever the question is. Yeah. And it's just so odd that... I mean, I didn't really see any interviews from when he was of this age, but to be able to put that art out there, you would think he would have enough confidence in himself to just do this thing instead of working within the parameters of of what everybody else was doing at the time. He was just true to himself and wanted to make an honest piece of art and let other people just handle it the way that they would handle it. Whether Mm -hmm. it was sink or swim, he just wanted to do right by what his inspiration was. And that's incredibly confident for... Like you're saying, a 21-year-old dude who, I mean, again, like you're saying, I don't know what I was doing at 21. Yeah. Definitely not trusting myself enough to make anything like that. It's it's definitely just, I think, interesting. And just shows him as a person being different from the average Joe and, like, really kind of stepping up to the plate and making it. Um, On to his movies. This man... He's he's definitely cemented himself in film history with just the weird, just the weird that he's done. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think 
a lot of everything that I've seen, it really just shows he's trying to show suburbia and a classic conception of suburbia and always having some sort of underlying evil to it, which I think is a really interesting commentary because he's trying to like balance good and bad, but also trying to hide the bad to make the good appear. Mix the known with the unknown, mix the good with the evil, kind of make you feel unsettled, but also make you feel like it's something that you're familiar with? Yeah, I think in Mulholland Drive, it's really evident because he starts the film and portrays it as just an actress who's struggling and just is constantly getting beat by another better actress who's sort of uh, demoralizing her character just to get further. But then it takes a step back and it just really confuses and just surprises the viewer when they find out that she's not a struggling actress. She's a has-been actress uh, that's just been dreaming about that the entire time. And when we are shown her world, we find out that that actress that was demoralizing herself was somebody that she had paid to be killed and now she's just been in this delusional state because of it and her psyche's been breaking down and then it just all comes to a wrap at the end i don't know if you've seen it but she mm-hmm. has just a weird dreamy hazy state where she ends up killing herself and i just think it's in this film especially that his influence where he draws from Francis Bacon is prevalent because Francis Bacon, he had a rough, and I mean a rough life. Like I was reading an article earlier and it was just saying all the different things that happened to him. He was an asthma stricken gay black sheep of his family running into his dad who's usually the epitome of masculinity and he used to admire himself in the mirror while wearing his mother's underwear, but that furthered his attraction towards his father. So his his whole like childhood was just kind of messed up. And then he had two lovers that ended up committing suicide. So all of his work is kind of just more reflecting that and reflecting all the themes of sadness, depression, terror, anxiety. And I think in this film especially, it can be seen just what he's trying to do. There's a lot to unpack there. First of all, spoiler alert, put an edit point in here <laughs> and put this in the front before he describes that movie. But anyway, yeah, Naomi, you know Naomi it's Watts not like killed it's it. like 20 it's years old or anything. <laughs> oh, man. It's somebody's first time watching it. But, yeah, no, it's... Uh, speaking to the Francis Bacon stuff and his inspiration by that, I, I saw an interview with David Lynch where it, he was he was trying to tell people that... You don't have to go through uh, trauma and struggle to be a wonderful creative person. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the example that he used was was Van Gogh. Like Van Gogh had gone through trauma and he had been through terrible things. But when he was painting, when he was being an artist, when he was doing the work, that was his happiness. So when he was being productive is when he was the happiest. So the thing that most people think that they need to pull from trauma and things like that to be inspired and to create something good and there's nothing wrong with that a lot of people do that yeah uh but it's funny to hear that david lynch was so inspired by somebody that did have so many traumas to pull from and and, and be inspired by that because lynch 
from what are the interviews that I've seen, he he doesn't think that you have to go through that. You just have to trust yourself and do the things that make sense to you and that you're inspired by. And, uh, you know, good things will happen if you do that. So. Yeah, and I mean, like, looking at all of his stuff, while he did move around a lot, his childhood wasn't, like, as terrible as that. Or even just from, like, a regular viewpoint wasn't that bad. He mm-hmm. just... And, like, he is doing this and creating all these things, and he's not needing this trauma to pull from. Yeah, no, he just, he, he needs to have his creative space. He likes yeah. to, like, well, like we talked about, get rid of the negative energy and have a clear head, but he feels like you can just, you can be mused, you can be inspired by anything around you, you just have to be ready for it and prepared. Uh, what he's done to the art world. I think we've mostly covered it, but I think there's some stuff, just like how with his art art has evolved and transgressed from the 60s to now do you have any opinion on this uh i mean i'm i don't know a lot of people that reference his his art more so than his films i I think more people are are familiar with his films so in my opinion is that i think that his footprint that he's left on the art community is that of uh, his his master classes and how he teaches other people uh, to to pursue their art. I mean, yeah. his, his if I'm speaking only to you know everything outside of the filmmaking medium as as his art, um, I think that's where his influence lies. For me, is um, I think that he has taught people to to trust themselves in 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 to to. To hit on that point, and what's resonated with me is I wrote down two. One is a paraphrase, and one is a direct quote. Okay. Uh, the direct quote is, The most important thing is what you fall in love with, and the reason you fall in love with it is an abstraction. So we were talking about abstractions earlier, and David Lynch talks about that a lot when he's discussing why he jumped to filmmaking and, and, and again, what the language of filmmaking can lend itself to those abstractions. Yeah. And I think that's really, it's, it's almost like a sticking point with any of his art, whether it's the paintings or whether it's the film. It's either for himself or the audience member. He's trying to get across a feeling that can otherwise not be well described on how you got to that feeling or how that feeling feels to you. It's that abstraction. And I think yeah. that quote speaks to that is, you know when you're in love, you don't always know how you got there. I mean, you can point to certain things, but, you know, it's it's that, like, aha moment of, like, oh, I, I know, oh, I feel that way, but hold on, what what, what just happened? How did, that, how did that go? Yeah. And then the other piece, uh, which is, it's it's paraphrased, but again, I think this, uh, this is part of his footprint in the art world, is make honest art and let the audience interpret it the way they will. You, you don't have to dumb your art down for people to get it. It's... Be true to your inspiration. Make what you think you should make, and and just let all the other things you know fall by the wayside. If you're true to the art and you're true to your inspiration, near muse, you know people will find it. It's trust the IQ of the audience and trust the interest of the audience. Yeah, but just make your art. And I think uh, just looking at that and everything with that, going back to what we were talking about about how he did this at so young, I think we've just answered how he did it. Mm-hmm. Is he just stuck to himself and he did what he needed to do and he trusted and that's all you can do at the end of the day. You just need to trust and 
hope that you got this because you do. Yeah. I think overall, now that we're coming to a close, it's just important that you, the viewer, understand that the takeaway from this is you need to be yourself. You don't need anything in your life in order to do what you want as long as you just feel as if you can do it. And uh, that being said, I think we are now at a close. So if you would like to sing the ending rap, I'll drop you a sick beat. Are you ready, David? Uh. Bye. <laughs>